warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 135 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? How's it going to you, too? It's our anniversary. It is. Eight years, man. The Ocho. The Ocho. This is the eighth anniversary, which, according to Better Bridal Magazine, says this is the pottery anniversary. Well, what a coincidence. Which is appropriate, since this is an absolute crock. I was just going to say, I'm getting crocked. So oh, You're getting crocked in the crock joke. It's also the bronze anniversary, so I think that after the show, we should probably just have this thing bronzed to put it up on the mantle. That, that sounds fine. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do a show. What are we listening to anyway, man? Oh, dude. Well, I got I to gotta give a shout out to our good friend Cosplay, Steve Perry from Death Star, because he was the first guy who told me about this band. Came back from Nerdapalooza a couple of years ago, and I asked him, what new awesome bands did you hear while you were there? And he says, dude, one of them is called Moon Hooch. They'll blow your mind. You got to check them out. And at the time, I listened to a song or two, and I sort of forgot about him. And then recently, I saw the video for their song EWI, and I was just like, oh, yeah, that's right. These guys are bitching. So... 
I had to contact him and see if we could get him on the show. And here they are. It's a, a pair of saxophonists as well as a drummer. And they play music, I, I want to say, unlike most things you've heard. I have not heard music like this before, coming out of two saxophonists and one drummer. And the fact is, after eight years, we can still bring you some original music? That's pretty damn cool. We can still surprise ourselves. Absolutely. So uh, the tune that we opened with tonight is called Number One, taken from the uh, self-titled debut from 2013 called Moon Hooch. And uh, there's going to be a lot more as you listen to this show, as well as an interview with band founder and saxophone player Wenzel. So you can look forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to it. So, dude. Steve. Eight years, man. We've been doing this wow. a long time. Would you have That's ever longer thought? than some marriages have lasted. I know. A lot of marriages. Way a, lot, a lot of marriages, yeah. Either, either we're incredibly tedious or we still find uh, something to enjoy about doing it. I, st- I think we still have the spark, Steve. Uh, do we still have the spark? Yeah. It's kind of cool, though, that there are also some other like contemporary podcasts that I started out with that are still around, like Bloody Good Horror still doing their thing. Drunken Zombie is still doing their thing. It's just cool to look out there and see that there's these other guys who started around the same time we did that are also still going strong. So uh, congrats to them as well. But we're not buying them any anniversary presents. No, fuck those guys. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, every episode, Gord, we... uh, Every episode, every single one, including the one that was all dick jokes. we, We have to spend a few minutes talking about what pisses us off. You know what pisses me off, Steve? What pisses you off, Gord? We're doing a film festival. That that doesn't piss me off. Are yet. we doing a film festival? Is that happening? Is that a thing? Yeah. Let, for Is the sake of this in? discussion now, okay. let's just say, assuming we're doing a film festival again. But I, th- I, I think we we have to at this point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what pisses me off? What's that? Never being able to get the preamble down to my what pisses me off without trying to figure out whether or not I'm supposed to talk about whether or not we're doing a, a film festival. <laughs> no, you're good. You see how difficult it is to work under these, these, these I, I don't know how you've done it this long, Brent. Hold on, I gotta call my agent. Get out of this <laughs> chicken shit podcast. Give me a real gig. <laughs> <sighs> Mickey Mouse operation. Uh, what is this? I don't get paid enough to do this. Well, Not at all, paid. for that matter. Yeah. Hey, no. For, for our film festival... Which we, we may or may not be doing, except we are doing. <laughs> yeah, we just released the call for submission, so. Yeah, and, and the submission form we use, the same form we've been using for at least 48 years, I'm still finding mistakes in that form. <laughs> Every year I look at it and I'm like, oh, we're missing some capital letters here. We're missing some punctuation over there. What the hell is wrong with us? Why can't we get this form right? Pisses me off. And you know what else I, I finally noticed on this form? We actually have a clause that... If were we to enforce it, prevents anyone from talking shit about our film festival if they submit a film. <laughs> really? Do we really need the can't talk shit clause in our form? Perhaps we do. I, I, don't I guess so. I don't know. I, I don't know why so far we've been blessfully lucky that uh, over five years we haven't managed to piss anybody off. Everybody's had a pretty good time. So, Yeah. Or yeah. if they did get pissed off, they, they didn't say anything about they it. They didn't tell me. Yeah. I know I owe somebody a beer. I'm sorry, man. I see you again. I'll buy you a beer. Yeah, there Th- you that's go. on me. Yeah, yeah. D- don't let it happen again. 
I I will do my best not to. Next year, you're like buying everybody in the audience a beer, trying because you can't remember. Beer you fell on yeah. your head, and so you can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> People keep coming up. Hey, Gord, you promised to be beer. Oh shit, I did. End of the night. I'm like. Jesus Christ, there's a $1,200 bar tab here. <laughs> and that's just for the front row. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to spending that much on the band, but... <laughs> but hey, come on, Gord, for a guy that doesn't drink. Jesus. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And you know a trend I have seen creeping into my life, which needs to stop. It needs to stop, like, now. Okay. Left and right socks. What? At what point did this become acceptable? I like I, socks that you can use on either either foot interchangeably, especially. Foot and I or buy as like mittens in the cold. Yes, I buy like six pairs of the exact same socks, to, so I don't have to sweat that shit. Right? Yeah, that's socks. Socks are just socks; they're not shoes. I have a hard enough time with shoes. No, as the chief laundry folder in my household, I encountered a whole bunch of new socks. For my kids. Oh, yeah. And back they have to school, L's sure. and R's on them. <laughs> what the hell is that? Oh, yeah. I hate... I, I've hated it for years. Like, it's you fold all the clothes, and at the end, you end up with this bin that's like 70% single socks, and you'll never, ever see the rest of those socks again. Yeah. And it's yeah. like most of them were like from when the kid was five. They don't even fit anybody at the house. Why aren't we throwing these socks away? Well, they, you are, but you're only throwing away one at a time. <laughs> that's the problem. Or someone in your family, I'm not going to mention any names, but maybe you're married to them, buys a <laughs> bunch of socks. They buy like the 40-pack the of socks, okay, and it's actually 20 slightly different <laughs> pairs of socks. They're all maybe just a little bit different height or a different shade of band blue across it or something, so you can't just sit there and stare at the TV and fold them. Oh, no, yeah. you got to pay there, attention. There are socks that my wife and daughter have that don't even match. They're complementary colors the hell you say and none of them are the same there's they're like six of them that are all individual and so you can't even match them and so you can spend a good time going blind trying to figure that out before you go oh yeah these socks don't even match it doesn't even when matter. i when i spend a good time going blind well you know what there is a sock involved but only at the end <laughs> at the end of your <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's hilarious way out there at the end what about you steve what pisses you off? I'd like to talk about a football thing. Okay. So this last Monday night, okay, Monday night football, number one, is a pain in the ass to get to. Now, on the weekends, if you're a Seattle Seahawks ticket holder, you can take like a park and ride bus at a reduced fare from a place that's convenient that drops you off right by the stadium. You walk in, you come out afterwards, jump back in the bus, and it takes you home. No fuss, no muss, easy as pie. Now, if it's a Monday night or a Thursday night game, that bus doesn't run. So you essentially have to fight all of the rush hour traffic to come into the city to get a place to park and go to the game. So inevitably, you're running late. It's a pain in the ass. So you finally get there. The Seahawks are doing all right. It's 13-3 to going into the fourth quarter. Things are okay. And it's that time of the game. You've heard it here on the show before. It's time for Shave That Back Tim. The crowd starts building. Shave that back. Shave that back. He gets up. He dances. All of a sudden, the bouncers come up and try to take him away. Everybody in the stands is like, knock it off. That dude's a legend. He's here every game. Leave him alone. Then the police comes up and takes the guy and escorts him downstairs. 
Then Russell Wilson fumbles the ball almost by the end zone, and Detroit scores. The the game totally goes into the fucking toilet because they fucked with the Shave That Back guy. Finally, the, the Shave That Back guy comes back with his shirt back on, chagrined from his time with the police, and is allowed to enjoy the rest of the game. In the meantime, a whole bunch of people around him in I Am Spartacus mode are taking their shirt off <laughs> in rebellion. And... Is there like some rule against uh, having exposed midriff in the There's, Seahawks stadium? Why would there be? I don't even know. It was ridiculous. But it fucked up the mojo of the game, and the Seahawks almost lost the game because of it. And very few people know that who don't sit in Section 326. They wouldn't Jeez. know. It was unreal, and it totally pisses me off. You don't fuck with the game mojo. You don't mess with Mama Blue. You don't mess with Big Low with his sea fence sign down in front. That probably gets in front of some people, and they can't see good. It obstructs their view, but it's part of the game. You're there for the, the pageantry and what's going on. And they fucked with Shave That Back Tim, and it almost cost us the game. And that pisses me off. Now, what's the situation on the... Uh... The beer vendor that you like to patronize, so, are, you, are so you able to do that again? I complained to the yeah. proper authorities. I called the Seahawks and their 1-800 number in a very nice way. I explained how it was negatively uh, affecting my fan experience. And they said, that, oh, that thank you very much. We really appreciate it. That's a new section up there, and it's going to take us a while to get it right. Uh, we're going to work on this and see what we can do, and we're going to call you back in a few games and see if your experience has improved. But there was absolutely no fucking difference whatsoever. It was exactly <laughs> the same. Like, they still had, like, concession stand. The, the booths on the end were unmanned. The line was around the block. And even, like, there were churro people in our section with the churro bins, like, every five minutes. One beer dude. And we sit in the very front of the section, so the beer dude comes up, and I stick my finger up politely, and I say, two beers, please. Then seven people jump in front of him while he's walking up to my seat, and he starts selling all of his beer in the aisle before he can get to me. There is no God. And I had to I had to actually like hop over the seat and walk down there. <laughs> Some other guy comes up, and I'm like, no, I was next. And I, my, I had to be like a dick and buy it just to get two beers for me and Limo and walk back to my seat so we could drink a beer during the game. Ridiculous. God damn. I know. So, yeah, so far this season, the Seahawks experience is pissing me off a little bit. Yeah, this is getting to be like a job. I know, right? Hard goddamn work. Why don't we listen to a tune? Let's do it. This is the song that is tied into the video that I mentioned previously, EWI from 2014's This Is Cave Music, Moon Hooch.
All right, once again, that was EWI taken from This Is Cave Music by Moon Hooch. Uh, check them is out. Is it EWI or is it Wee? It is, it, because it is the name for the electronic wind instrument, which is like this keyboard that he plays and blows into in the video. Oh. So, there you go. He talks about okay. that a little more in the interview. You'll find out soon. I can't wait. So, uh, eight years of the Bone Bass Show, dude. Eight. Count them. You know, we made it past our seven-year itch. I feel pretty good about it. We that. did, yeah. So it, this could go on almost forever. <laughs> Which <laughs> It's a lot like herpes. <laughs> it is, yeah. So I, I've got a couple of comments here uh, that people fired in, you know, most of them on Facebook. Uh, our good friend Gareth from Calgary, Alberta, fired in with, Gentlemen, congrats on eight years. By far my most favorite podcast. And trust me, I listen to a lot. Need to get through the workday somehow. Had the pleasure of meeting Steve in Seattle for lunch several years ago. Need a repeat meeting soon. Anyway, continuing the gushing love fest for the bone. Well done, guys. Here's to another eight. That was yeah. awfully nice of him. Jeez, yeah. Stuart from Wales said... Stuart from Wales. Stop getting old. Makes me feel too old. Makes me feel <laughs> old, too. You read that. <laughs> That's only like ten words long, and you fucked up three of them. I told you I was getting crocked. <laughs> Stop getting so old. Makes me feel old, too. Grant A. fired in. I'll never forget the show that was almost entirely dick jokes after one listener complained that there hadn't been enough lately. That's you know, what happens. We were, back when we were like 43, we were angry young men. <laughs> it was all about Do you remember the, the time that we turned on Obscure 80s? The Penny Cult production with Jay and Stewie D. Oh, they turned on us first. They did, yeah. Oh, man, they made like a, a half-assed comment about us, and we just mur we did like the dozens on them. We did. <laughs> <laughs> that was so much fun. We haven't had like a vendetta against another podcast in a long time. We we, we should try to trump one up. The other podcasts know better now. They, Cin they Cinema Diabolica, DZ, should we get something going with him? Only if they want to start it. People know better. <laughs> you think that's it? You mess with the bull, you get the dick jokes. That that might be it. Uh, here's another one uh, from DZ, actually, the previously uh, mentioned podcaster from Cinema Diabolica. Bone Bat is boner-friendly for eight years running. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. I don't really know how to take that. <laughs> I think he, he wants you to take it any way you can. <laughs> See, it's all dick jokes. All the time. Oh. It, it can't be helped. Ugh. So thank you to everybody who fired in, and uh, we will uh, endeavor to keep this thing rolling. Uh, so, dude, you got any weird shit this week? I got some weird shit. Some weird shit happened right here in the United States of America. What? Yeah. So maybe this just seems super weird to me. I'm the only one I know that really noticed it this way, which means I was probably hallucinating. But uh, the Speaker of the House, John Boehner. Who, and I'm sorry, anytime I read his name, like, it's kind of like the word Illinois. I say Illinois, but in my head I hear Illinois because the way it looks with Boehner. I read his name and I, it's Boner. And then you giggle to yourself. And then I giggle every time I read his name. And I, I think about it. This guy, he's the, the Speaker of the House, one of the most powerful men in the country, has been able to rise to a point where he helps affect the lives of millions of people in the United States and worldwide. I mean, the, the man changes the world. What he does actually makes a difference. For better or for worse, but it makes a difference. And he fancies himself a devoted Catholic, and it's been 
like the his life's goal to bring the Pope to Washington D.C. and to meet the Pope. So this guy, this this crazy powerful politician, he meets the Pope. He meets his hero. Now you don't have to really look at it too closely to go. All right, what is this Pope about? He's about helping the poor, helping the sick, helping the needy, not being arrogant. He's about peace. He's he's about a lot of things that are in complete opposition to just about everything Boehner has done. Not the things he says, but the things that he's done. Boehner is against giving people health care. He is for the rich. He is not for helping out the poor. He's definitely a hawk. He's he's not advocating policies which would be for peace. So he meets the Pope. He meets this hero, and then、um, like the next day, the next morning, out of nowhere, he goes, "That's it, fuck it, I quit," <laughs> and he's he's resigning his position. And I can't help but think that like he talked to the Pope, and the Pope went, "Hey,、uh, you know what the fuck are you doing here, buddy?" <laughs> You think the Pope gave him like、uh, some speech that made him feel like an utter slime ball, and he he put sackcloth and ashes on his head and just gave it all up? I think that could be it, or maybe after meeting the Pope, all of a sudden he just had this this epiphany, this realization that you know it must have really felt awful to think about what you're doing stands in stark contrast to what you think you've been doing or you you what you fancy yourself, and I know how he feels. Because I recall there was a point in my life when I actually found myself rocking out to Nickelback. <laughs> so yeah, it's a bad feeling there, Boner. Wow, it's tough to bounce back from. So no、that、one really、is. knows what's going to happen. I mean, yeah, I heard the, the, the guy they thought like, was going to see nobody him, wants out. Nobody wants that job. I was reading about that today. It's like they can't find anybody. It's like trying to find somebody to coach the Miami Dolphins. Right, it's like nobody really want you know. They end up with like the ninth choice. They don't end、and、up with Nickelback. Yeah, you, they don't end up with the guy that they wanted first because everybody's like, "Yeah, no, I'm good." Yeah, I've got. I'm,、uh, I'm throwing <laughs> some steaks on the grill. I'm going to be pretty busy this weekend. I, I can't、yeah. coach. I got some announcing to do. I got to coach my kids' game. Yeah. Oh, my kid. God, you know the assistant coach. <laughs> he's out with a. He, I think he got turf toe. <laughs> Just a, not a good time. Got to change the air in my tires this weekend. <laughs> Got to wash my hair. Oddly, the、uh, excuses for not becoming a、uh, speaker of the house are similar to not going out with me in high school. Very similar, huh? <laughs> Weird. That you didn't realize how close you were to becoming one of the most powerful men in America. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, apparently the job is open to anyone who、uh, who wants it. Unless you want it, in which case people know you're so batshit crazy, you should absolutely <laughs> not be trusted with power. Exactly, yeah. That loon from Utah, holy shit! <laughs> All right, well, let's listen to another tune, man. All right, let's do it. How about a、uh, Contra from 2012, a standalone single from Moon Hooch,、uh, featuring Elena Spanger on vocals. Check this one out.
All right, everybody. Uh, once again, that was the 2012 single Contra featuring Alina Spangler on vocals from Moon Hooch. Again, you can find their stuff at moonhooch.bandcamp.com. And joining me now, a rare treat, saxophonist Wenzel McGowan. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Well, thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well. And uh, even better now, you're actually joining us. Uh, this is our eighth anniversary episode. We've been doing this for eight years, so it's really cool to be able oh, to spring cool. such an awesome band on our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it's unfortunate my co-host can't be here because he actually is a sax player as well. And I just play guitars and poorly at that. So uh, I don't quite know everything, but I've got a couple of questions for him as well. So I hope it doesn't sound too schizophrenic. Uh, first of all, he asks, where'd you get your sound and what do you call it? We started this band completely accidentally. We had no interest in forming a band whatsoever. We just happened to be playing on the supper platforms together to make some money. Uh-huh. And I was produ- I was producing electronic music at the time, and that was pretty much what I thought was going to be my career. But this one late night in the summer, I started writing a song based on electronic music and showed it to Mike and Jane, and we performed it in the subways live, and people started dancing and asking us what the name of our band was. Uh-huh. We didn't have a band. So Mike was just joking and said, Moon Juice. <laughs> and we laughed about it. But then we were like, you know, maybe we should form a band. Maybe we should call it Moon Juice. But there were four bands called Moon Juice. <laughs> so we changed it to Moon Juice. <laughs> and then we spent about two years working really hard in the subways, busking, playing the late night, playing dance parties. Then we got eventually kicked out and banned from the subways. Police told us the subways are not a dance club. <laughs> and if we were to come back, they would arrest us. So we started throwing illegal warehouse parties. <laughs> wow. We did that for a while. But that was also really stressful because I don't want to be worrying about getting arrested sure, while playing yeah. a show. So we stopped all that illegal stuff and started playing. At that point, we had a fan base, so we could just play a real venue to make our money that way. And... We call the sound that we have created cave music. Because cave music, it's like house music, uh-huh. but it's more wild, more raw, more natural. So we sort of try to mix together the creative, raw element of acoustically improvised music with you know, more refined electronic sounds. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because obviously, you know, there is the jazziness of your music, but it also does share yeah. the driving rhythms and almost trance-like grooves of electronic music or dubstep. And so, you, yeah. you know, that you come from both backgrounds makes a lot of sense in the resulting yeah. music, even though it's that mm-hmm. original to me, at least to my ears. Yeah, I mean, totally. I, I take a lot of inspiration from electronic music. Whenever I get the chance, I like to go into dance clubs and dance all night long to trance music. Mm-hmm. And for for me, that I try to do that completely sober. Actually, I I often go into dance club. I don't drink or don't take any drugs, and I just view it as a meditation. Okay. Sort of to just go in the middle and dance as hard as you can, while focusing on the music and focusing how it feels to move the body, and inevitably you're gonna run into some ego projections because you are 
surrounded by other people that will think of you a certain way. You know, some men might think you're stupid, some women might think you're attractive, and then people relate to you in that way. But just dancing really hard and not and completely disregarding the judgment of other people is a spiritual exercise. So I do that whenever I get a chance. Mike and I actually went to Berlin once and spent a whole week just dancing. <laughs> It's all we do because Berlin has unique attributes of dance clubs that are almost open 24/7. You know, you could go dancing at 11 in the morning. Uh-huh. You just go in there and you just fucking rock out as hard as you can for as long as you can, and you know, experiencing that moment. So, so I do that for inspiration, and that obviously affects also the way we perform this mentality and so forth. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your instrumentation. Uh, Gordon saw what I think is the EWI, and he was like, "What in the hell is that?" I I thought it was a keyboard, mm-hmm. and I've never seen anything like that before. And he plays woodwind. So tell us a little bit about that instrument. It's called an electronic wind instrument. So that's what EWI stands for. It's a synthesizer, and the amplitude control is responsive to breath. So when you blow harder, it becomes louder. You can also assign that filters or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So the point is that you, with the airflow, you control the attack okay. of either either volume or filter or whatever you want it to be. So it's a nice invention for a saxophone player because as a saxophone player, that's what you do all the time. You use your breath to create rhythm. Mm-hmm. So you can neatly transpose that skill and express it in a more electronic way. Because it's an electronic device, does it give you the ability to put reverb or distortion or things like that as well onto your playing, or do you would you do that separately? You could do that through the instrument. How we usually do it is we run everything through Ableton Live, and then automate plugins on and off during okay. our show, okay. and you know control the wet and dry and sends and sends and all that. Gordon was wanting to know what's the weirdest thing you've ever stuck in the bell of your horn. Um, not sure if I want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I understand. <laughs> And moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Now, one of the things I noticed about your songs is, uh, you know. Since you're not really tied up too much with the tedious chore of naming songs, what do you do with your spare time? I am writing a book right now about <laughs> digital physics and, really? and out-of-body experiences. And what I do with it is I develop a framework, which is digital physics, the assumption that reality is information-based and consciousness is a computer. Mm-hmm. I use that framework, which is actually adopted by a number of well-known scientists, including Tom Campbell, who works for the Missile Defense Program in NASA. I interviewed him and, and some other scientists, and I used that framework to explain mystical experiences or paranormal phenomena that I have experienced. Okay. I have myself gone through quite a journey in life. Probably wouldn't be enough time to really talk about it in this interview. But in a nutshell, I, I like left this realm and connected it to other information systems, other experiential realities. They were as real and just different, you know, different information systems. And I think that this universe is just a tiny part of a larger consciousness system that has multiple experiential realities that consciousness sort of migrates to. And that's, you know, what I think happens after death. 
that you go to another experiential reality. And the whole point of it is to develop love consciousness, which is a low entropy consciousness that the larger consciousness system uses to configure itself. And that ties neatly into mysticism and Hinduism. And essentially all religions show traces of this realization. But I approach it more the way of using hard science. Hmm, okay. So that's, so that's what I developed. Okay. Well, that's why you're, all your songs are named Song 1, Song 2, Song 3. No wonder. You're a busy man. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> We're actually trying to, trying to get better naming songs. It's just once you've been playing a song for a long time and you don't have given it a name, it just seems like you're intruding yeah, when sure. you try to call it something. <laughs> Well, you definitely need to let us yeah. know when your book comes out, because we'll have to tell our listeners about that as well. Okay, I will. Yeah, it's actually done. It's just what I'm doing right now is I'm going over and over. I'm just rewriting it okay. for the third time now. <laughs> because I feel like when I get to the end of it, I, I just read the beginning. I'm like, well, now I have the perspective. So mm-hmm. I got to change it. One, one other thing that uh, Gord was curious about is that... Uh, on a lot of your music, you have it mic'd up so that you can hear the clatter and the thump of the keys being pressed, which is a sound that he claims that most of the time only the sax player hears, but rarely anyone else. You certainly do that by design, correct? You're trying to kind of bring the audience into the horn with you? No, not really. We just have really loud old horns. <laughs> really? That's why? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we, our horns are old, yeah. Well, my contrabass guitar is 100 years old. Our tenor saxons are about 80 years old. Um, my baritone saxons are 60 years old, so they're all like older than our parents. Oh, wow. Our horns. But, you know, we try to maintain them as well as we can, and they're still in great shape. They break a lot, you know, and that, yeah. that definitely happens. Is you it know, hard? We have to go to horn, horn repair shops so often. <laughs> I was going to ask, is it hard to, like you're on the then, road? Do you have a couple of backups just in case? No, we don't. We just sometimes get really screwed. Playing a show, a horn breaks, something. One time we were playing a show, a horn broke on stage, and we're just like, well, sorry, like, full audience, like thousands of people watching us. And we're like, well, sorry, we now have to fix this horn. So we just sat down on stage with a screwdriver <laughs> and started fixing the horn. Another time, a horn broke, and we sort of went to the microphone, like, sorry, guys, the horn broke. And then somebody's like, I'm a repairman. So the horn, horn repairman was in the audience. He jumped on stage, took his hair tie, and replaced a spring with a neat construction of the hair tie. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess it yeah. pays to be uh, industrious, right? Kind of figure things out on the fly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of go through life. Anyway, <laughs> you, know, you, you never know what comes. You just got to be open-minded and creative all the time. And take whatever comes and deal with it in the most positive and creative way, I guess, you know? Absolutely, yeah. That's why I put a traffic on my side. So, Wenzel, not a lot of bands have a section on their website dedicated to cooking. Given your love of cooking sustainable, delicious foods, what is the writer on your concert contract like? Do you require organic chickpeas in a wood-fired oven? Um, we actually bring our own oven. Do you and really? On tour with us, yeah. <laughs> nice. James has. I'm, I'm right now in the in the back of of a club, and James just made some sourdough bread and roasted vegetables. I was reading that about so, him feeding his uh, sourdough starter on the road. 
Because I mean, you yeah, got to get up really early to do that, and a lot of a lot of bands they you know have late nights, and that takes a certain amount of dedication to be able to do that. Yeah, totally. It's just like having a little baby and tour with us. I mean, the sour. <laughs> the crazy thing about the sourdough starter is it takes in the yeast that's native to whatever region we are in. Yeah, so sure, of course. That's what, that's why people say because like. The California sourdough is tastes different than the East Coast sourdough, yeah. Because you have different bacteria that's native to that area of land. So we're traveling the country on, without sourdough starter. We're <laughs> just <laughs> gathering these cultures that are floating through the forest, and then you know James feeds them with flour and grows them, and then he uses that to bake bread. That's amazing. And it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like he <laughs> just made such a delicious loaf. <laughs> and some olive oil and garlic and roasted peppers and zucchini and some fresh cucumbers. A friend of ours picked up at the farmer's market and that was really wonderful. It's such a blessing to have James on the road with us because <laughs> he's really passionate about it, you know? Oh, yeah. That's what he loves. He loves foraging for mushrooms uh-huh. and baking bread and baking muffins, making stir fries or roasts. He likes roasting squash too. Mm-hmm. He's really cool. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, you're making me yeah, so hungry, you. dude. I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm sorry. It's just the best. <laughs> so, what we uh, talk a little bit about your tour. Right now, you're currently crawling all over the Midwest, and I saw that you're actually going to be here in Seattle on Halloween. Awesome. I didn't even know that, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. You, you guys are going everywhere. It's fantastic. Yeah. We are literally hitting it hard this month. It's been going really well. We've been on the bill of Peeps and Peeps. So opening up for them, mm-hmm. and then going back on stage, playing an encore with them. The fan base is really receptive and mixes well with our fan base. <clears throat> we, we usually play sold-out shows, these mm-hmm. couple, last last week at least. And it's a blast, you know, people are dancing really hard. What I really like about playing shows is there's this mystical element to it. You know, I've been asking myself for years, whether it's real or whether it's not real. Uh-huh. I mean, if you bring yourself into that emotional state where you think you're connecting to the oneness of the universe, it's just that stronger and greater energy that is beyond form, that's beyond intellect and beyond concept. And when you channel that energy through your music, then is that a real thing or is it not? Is it just you using a bunch of tools bring yourself into this emotional state or are you actually tapping into the energy that affects other people it's kind of crazy we've played shows where we felt like we've been connected to this source mm-hmm. and after the show like people would write us on Facebook that they were just crying <laughs> you know that and, or, or another person like had an out of body experience during our show and the thing is like yeah, I don't know how it works exactly, but it, it seems like music can really bring this energy that, that's beyond no, human I defi- reality. I definitely think so. I mean, you know, anyone who's a music fan and has seen enough live music has experienced like those kind of transformative experiences. Like, you know, you you remember concerts that you will never forget as being, you mm-hmm. know, a, 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 one of the most memorable moments of your lives. 
And a lot yeah. of that has to do with music. And, you know, music tied with memory. Like when you hear a song and you, you smell something, like you smell summer or you smell bread. or they're, they're, yeah. You know, music is so tied in with the senses and memory that I absolutely think that there are ways for you to find a transcendent experience through music. Sure. Yeah, I don't doubt that too. I just sometimes want to ask myself how how that works. You know, and so sometimes I think that you know we are these individualist consciousness units, mm-hmm. you know, pieces of consciousness that identify with the human being. Right? So we're walking around just having this human experience, but really we are consciousness that just does that temporarily. Mm-hmm. The consciousness that's just temporarily human to gather some experience and evolve it. So, so I think that when you play music and you play it from that source, you play it from that perspective, whether you think about it or not, all it means to let go of thought, you let go of your identity, and you express that pure awareness that you are through music. Then it starts somehow affecting other people that they realize that too. They all of a sudden realize, wow, I'm actually not a human being. I'm just awareness, just checking out the human experience. I, whether they think about it or not, probably mm. not. But you feel it, and that's just a feeling. I've had a person come to me after a show and be like, you know, during the show, it was the first time, you know, I've been reading a lot about spirituality, but it's the first time I actually understood on an emotional level that I'm the spirit having the human experience. You know, somebody said that to me, and then and I was like, yeah, that was like exactly what I was trying to say with it. <laughs> that's exactly, you know, like yeah. there's this communication going on beyond words. Something. Well, that's that's really cool, and and thank you for. I know that you're going to be going on stage soon, so I really appreciate you taking some time to share your both your philosophy and your music with the Bone Bat Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, so you bet. Fun. So one last question. I kind of feel weird asking this question. I've never asking this question after so much discussion of spirituality. But Wenzel, what pisses you off? I try not to get pissed off ever, actually, but I do get pissed off when I deceive myself. I'm not pissed off because I'm just really disappointed in myself. Yeah. You know, when I let lower emotions, meaning emotions based on fear, mm-hmm. take over, or selfish emotions, and I act selfishly. You know, the other day, for example, we were in a rehearsal, and we were rehearsing at Mike's aunt's place, and she was dating cake for And... After the rehearsal, I, I really got so hungry. We had six hours straight. And I was drinking some coffee, so I didn't really feel very good. I didn't drink coffee regularly, and whenever I do, I sit back. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling really bad, and I just really wanted to get some cake. And I was like, let's go eat some cake. And Mike said, no, let's pack up first. And he's like, well, I'm out. I'm eating cake. So I just left. And after that, I felt, ah, so selfish, you know? Yeah, sure. So I just, so this sort of thing pissed me off when, when I act selfishly. Well, see, even... And even your what pisses you off is uplifting, Wenzel. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Great thing is time to talk to you. <laughs> so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this next song? Okay. Well, in this next song, I'm playing a hundred-year-old contrabass clarinet that has been forgotten. Nobody really plays the contrabass anymore. People have given up on this instrument, but I think electronic music, especially dubstep, has made listeners familiar with the deep and raw sounds that the contrabass clarinet naturally produces. So you might think it's a synthesizer, but 
you're wrong. There's a straight contrabass clarinet playing the bass. <laughs> Fantastic. So check this out, folks. This is Contradub.
everyone, this is Moon Hooch, and you are listening to the Bone Bat Show. All right, once again, that was Contra Dub, again taken from This Is Cave Music 2014. Thank you so much to Wenzel for joining us on the show, sharing his philosophy on music with us, and also more awesome tunes. So, speaking of music, dude, have you heard the new Clutch? I know you have. Of course. That's, that was kind was of that a question you asked just for the show? Uh, it see, it's kind of felt like it as I said it, but holy shit. <laughs> holy shit. Psychic hey, the new clutch, Warfare huh? is fantastic. It is really, really good. It is so nice because, frankly, from Beale Street to Oblivion, not their strongest work. Yeah, uh, Earth Rocker was a little better. Earth Rocker, that was all right. But they haven't had a singularity of hard-rocking focus like this since Blast Tyrant. Yeah, this is this is the sequel to Blast Tyrant. Strange Cousins from the West, pretty good. Yeah, not bad. This, this thing is, oh my god, you cannot go wrong by buying this CD or whatever format you're buying your music in. But yeah, you know, I, I bought it and I immediately bought a second copy for someone else that I know would like it. And then I, the first person I talked to about it, she bought it and she also bought a copy for someone else that she knew would like it. It's just one of those... CDs that's so goddamn good. Oh, it really is. And I mean, you almost forget how great this band is if you walk away from them a little while. And then you're like, God, they're so good. Neil Fallon is a genius. I mean, by any measure, he's one of the top ten hard music vocalists in the world. He's got just an ear-shattering roar, fantastic distinctive voice. But then you couple that with probably the best lyric writer around, His lyrics are pretty fun, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, his lyrics, like, brandish brand names and cities and colloquialisms like they're totems. They're just, (laughs) it's fantastic shit that he does, and it's so fun to listen to. And then you've got... this album, it's sort of, the songs string together into the the framework of a whole narrative. I really like when they do that. Yeah. They they kind of of flirted with that in... um, Blast Tyrant, but they really did it with this album. Yeah. And then you've got Tim Salt, who's like, riffs just drip molten fire. The guy's guitar sounds so good on this album. And one of the tightest rhythm sections around. I mean, J.P. Gastier is an amazing drummer. And Dan Maines just in lockstep making incredible music. What a great, great album. Great lyrics, great music, hard rock. It's all good. It's varied, though. It's very. I've got one half-ass complaint though. Okay, hit me. Listen to "Son of Virginia." Uh-huh. Listen to "Regulator." Wait a minute. A little, little bit. You know what though? That's even Turns worse. That's, that's the same song. You know what's even worse? Those Colossus. Yeah. You know the the phrase where he says, "We are Gordons," or maybe it's no, Gordons. Something. Yeah, it's it's not that. That reminds me of "Turn Me Loose" by Loverboy. That chord change. I don't know why. Every time I hear it, I can't stand it. It just drives me nuts. There's a chord change that they pulled right off a song by the Cars too. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, I can't even remember what song it was. Like you're all I've got tonight, or something. Or I just heard it. And I'm like, did I just really hear that? Right. <laughs> it's it's interesting because like from Beale Street to Oblivion. Like, spends too much time wallowing in the blues for my taste. And there are other yeah. albums that are jammier, and so they don't have the focus. And this does do that. I mean, so A Quick Death in Texas has, like, a bluesy ZZ Top thing. 
And, uh, oh, uh, Our Lady of Electric Light is, like, just really cool kind of slow rocker with amazing wah just going through it. It's really cool. And then uh, Your Love is Like Incarceration is like power pop. It's like Clutch's version really of is. power pop. It's fucking great. But that so it is very so unclutch like to me. Yeah, but it but it rocks just hard as shit. And I, I just dig this album so much. And I'm so happy it was as good as I hoped it would be. Because X-ray Vision was a kick-ass single, even when we first saw the video. The video's mm-hmm. crazy. Totally fun song. With probably the very best band name checks since Who's Got the Ten and a Half? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's he- so very good. Seriously, listeners, go out and buy this now. If you haven't heard it yet, check it out. Also, uh, Clutch did, uh, or Neil Fallon, rather, did kind of song narratives for about six of the songs that you can find on YouTube. And it kind of tells the stories behind the songs, and they are great. They're only about three minutes long, but they're fantastic little vignettes, and you've got to hear them. If you were on the fence before that and you hear those, you're definitely going to want to buy the album. I don't really see how you'd listen to any singles off this and be on the fence. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but but oh, so good. Yeah, pretty rocking. So I guess we're in multimedia triage now. So yeah. uh, what what else are we digging on? There, there's another band I've been listening to. There's absolutely, completely nothing at all like Clutch. Okay. It is Banda de los Muertos, and it is a it is a uh, well, I call it Banda, but it's Banda. It's a horn band. Uh, if you don't know what Banda is, picture this. You're in a Mexican restaurant, and they're playing what sounds to you like Mexican polka. Not my favorite kind of music. Way too oompa, way too repetitious. But these guys strip the oompa out. They strip the repetition out. And it is just a freaking kick-ass horn band. And the low brass in this is so good. The tuba, the sousaphone, it is just some really rocking music. You like music for music's sake, and it doesn't have to be electric amplified. Check out Banda de los Muertos. I'm telling you, these guys are are some seriously talented musicians. A lot of their songs are written in the key signature of Holy Fuck and in the time (laughs) signature of Fuck You. (laughs) It's just good stuff from a musical standpoint. Very cool. Yeah, so this is really the episode of some crazy wild swings in music, isn't it? It is, but uh, I've, you know, that's one of the things I like about this show is that even when you go back and listen to old episodes, you're like, wow, we've, we've covered a lot of ground musically. That's pretty fun. We are all over the damn place. What else? Uh, well, I went and saw The Martian. To- you saw the you saw an abortion? I said I saw the Martian. Oh Jesus! Jesus, what's wrong? I had no with idea what you were saying. Now, did you you actually reviewed the book of the Martian on the show a while back, right? Uh, yeah, I think I called it one gigantic math story problem. Yeah, that was what uh, kind of Julie felt about it, but she she couldn't wait to go see the movie, and so uh, we saw it opening weekend, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. All the acting was great. It was a fun story. You're wanting to know how this guy's going to get out of this situation. Uh, Matt Damon gets stranded on Mars, essentially, when uh, left for dead, when there's a storm on the planet and his uh, astronaut team leaves him, and he's kind of got to figure out how to survive long enough for the rescue mission to come get him. 
And, I believe uh, he says he has to science the shit out of this. Yeah, but maybe the best line in the movie. And uh, yeah, it was it was very enjoyable. I liked it. You know what was a really really great movie? Have you seen Black Mass yet? No, I have not. Dude, this oh, it will make you forget about all that horrible Jack Sparrow Lone Ranger crap that Mister Depp has been throwing out there. I like Black the Mass, parts. the story of Whitey Bulger. He is so good, so scary. Fucking a! That's just a. That is a good gangster. Flesh. I read that. I read that book back in the day, like a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think even know I still it was old. The hard probably reviewed it on the show, and I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, it might have been before even we were doing the show. I can. I think I can. I think I've got it. I think I can send it to you and lend it to you. No thanks. I've seen the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Heard the podcast too. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. What, there's a podcast. No, well, for when he got captured, there were a few different podcasts that sort of profiled um, the people around him who were living, you know, in that condo complex with him and, and the story that led up to his capture. So, yeah, there were there were a couple of different podcasts. And the, I think even the moth sort of brought one of those guys out, trotted him out again to tell his story. The guy that was the, the super for the um, condo. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I I like and I like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. They got a good little woolly at the end, but I always had fun with them. Yeah, the first one was fun, and then then they got long and cumbersome. Yeah, like my and yeah, never mind. Saw <laughs> <laughs> so Hotel Transylvania two. Really? You know? Did you? Did you have to? You still, yeah. Your kids are like twelve and up now. Do you still have to go watch these movies? I dragged them to it. Here's the thing. Hotel Transylvania yeah. was a fun movie. Was it? It really was. I liked it. It was a good movie. It was fun, mindless. And then I watched Hotel Transylvania 2 as a guy who likes monsters, likes comedy, likes animation. Mm-hmm. Adam Sandler really does his best work when you cannot see him, and he's forced to read a script, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was enough to make you forget Adam Sandler was even in the movie. Yeah, fun. Check it out. Well, you're not going to because you're prejudiced, but you saw I Pixel, probably, so you don't I have don't a goddamn know. leg to stand on. Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I've, got a, I've got a problem with like the second-tier Pixar stuff. I mean, you're always talking about going and seeing Despicable Me 7 and all this stuff, and I, I, just, I don't really want to see those things. I don't want to see any more uh, Madagascar. I don't need to see No, there's see only one Madagascar that movie shit. that's worth a shit, and that's the Penguins of Madagascar. Yeah, I don't But really, you're going to see the happy dinosaur, whatever the crap that is? No? What are you Have talking you about? Have you seen the new Pixar movie? Yeah, I probably see I'll, I'll see oh, just that anything. that awful. And you go to Pixar movies before anybody. You're like the guy. I've already boycotted this movie just based on the... <laughs> really? Based on... A, my experience. With oh, the last is that where the, the dinosaur owns a kid caveman or something? It's something. I don't know. It looks okay. like I'm sure yeah, that some, trailer some that. buddy dies and it's sad and then it's a happy. I don't know. It looks awful. Well, yeah. A, some, something interesting. Their new uh, Jack Reacher book, Make Me. I just finished that. And, huh. uh, okay, here's the, here's the thing about this book. So, Lee Child crack writer he's been writing these jack reacher books for a long time right and this is no exception it's a good it's kind of like an insular little book it's about you know jack reacher gets off of a train at this little pit stop town called mother's rest 
because he decides he's just, you know, walking the earth like Kane and Kung Fu, and he basically wants to know why it's named Mother's Rest. And he starts to look into it, and the town has, like, some nefarious goings on. And so he bumps into a retired FBI agent who's also investigating, and they start investigating the town together. And... 400 pages later, it wraps up. And it's fine as a Jack Reacher book, but if you're a horror fan, I think you're going to be a little disappointed in the end because they sort of cribbed an ending from, like, Eli Roth (laughs) that is sort of fucked out. And I won't say anything more than that, but I'm sure you can get the idea what I'm talking about, that that I was just, I was kind of disappointed with, really? That's what you're going to go with? All right. And then, boom, the book was over, and I moved on with my day. But I just, you know, I, I expect a little more from Child, i got to say. And it wasn't bad. It's well-written and it's brisk, and parts of it are really funny. Oh, for the first time, uh, Reacher gets a concussion, so that's new. Because <laughs> he's fucker. always been bulletproof, right? Yeah. And so he gets a concussion, and the whole book, you just know he's getting dizzy, and you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up and bite him in the ass at some point, this concussion he's got. So uh, uh, maybe it's worth you you reading just for that alone. I don't know. Yeah, I've seen the play. Thanks. <laughs> you think Jack Creature ever blows into a town, like has a bowl of soup and a, a bagel? Nothing's going on. Then he leaves. <laughs> I bet he, yeah, he does that all the time. <laughs> he goes into the bank, gets a 20, walks out. Stops next door, buys a toothbrush. Because he left the old one in the last town in yeah, the hotel room. Yeah, gets another toothbrush, right? Yeah. Yeah, and no, maybe nothing he sees happens. A, he sees a cop in a cop car. Maybe Lee Child should tickets. write that book, the book of no, nothing happening to Reacher. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of a great departure, right? That would be a really fun, like, like short story or graphic novel. Yeah, he like goes to a ball game. You know, I don't know. He just he, he does some like fun stuff, dicks around, <laughs> and goes to the fair, rides the tilt a whirl. Spends the night in a hotel room, masturbates. <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing's going on. Absolutely nothing. A mysterious note slipped under his door. Oh, no, never mind. It's the bill. <laughs> There's some pay-per-view on it he didn't order. He goes to the front desk. They take it off they the cheerfully, <laughs> They cheerfully remove it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they tell him to have a nice day. <laughs> that could be the name of the book. Yeah, this thing writes itself. I know, but that would be excellent. What else you been checking out? Well, I, I watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, so did we. So let's I talk a little bit about that. One. Did you watch yeah, the first we one? We watched the first one, the original. What? Yeah, I was just kind of in a, I don't know. I, I completely forgot that Johnny Depp was even in that movie. <laughs> I wasn't doing a Johnny Depp, you know, masturbate-a-thon. This time. Did you remember Amanda Weiss, who's the first girl who gets killed in there, that we interviewed her at Crypticon a few years back? I remembered nothing except Freddy Krueger and how scary that movie was when I first saw it in the theater. <laughs> what a kick. It's funny. Some of that stuff seems... I watched it with my kid, mm-hmm. and when it starts out, he's just rolling his eyes like, oh my God, really? And I had to explain... No, this isn't ironic. This is actually original. Like everything else is imitating this. It's not it's not trying to be trite. Yeah, yeah no. It was it's the real deal, yeah. 
But yeah. the end of it is is still scary and still tense. It holds up pretty good. And you know what? It really does. Yeah. It's a it's a scary film. So yeah, yeah, great stuff again. Robert England always just yeah fantastic actor. So much fun to watch. And there is some some cheese early on, especially like there's a scene where he's extending his arms and it looks fake <laughs> as shit. It, it's just terrible. But there's other stuff that looks really good. Like that that was the first like st- the stretching face through the wall above the bed. That was the mm-hmm. first time I ever remember seeing that. And yeah, that was really my cool. kid could not believe that wasn't done with a computer. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's a pretty good CGI. And there was like, no, no CGI. That was practical. Then. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no CGI. Nice. But yeah, it held up really well. And now that it's October, it's the perfect time to uh, revisit some of those classics. So. Yeah. And then I saw a movie, once again, to totally shift gears. I saw Home Sweet Hell. Have you seen that one? I haven't even heard of it. What is that? That flew completely under my radar. Catherine Heigl, Patrick Wilson... Uh, it's it's one of these movies where the guy appears to have it made with the perfect little suburban life and the perfect little suburban wife, but actually you don't have to go very far below the surface to see that his life is is kind of kind of screwed up. His wife is is seriously crazy, and um, in walks a new hot little ball of fluff, a, a young woman into his life. And it, it appears to be the classic story, seen it a million times. The guy's not getting along well with his wife. He, he finds this new woman who makes him feel alive. And then this movie gets really goddamn dark and really <laughs> crazy. And I really liked it. I had zero expectations. I don't even know if this thing was out in the theaters. I'm not going to give a lot away, but... It gets bloody. It gets crazy. And I dug it. Home Sweet Hell. It is definitely worth renting I, it's a four star movie it's not it's not five but okay. it is it is one of the more entertaining things I've seen in a while cool. yeah you ought to check it out I don't think it's streaming I think you might have to actually get a disc and put it in a machine oh, to watch fuck. it you and your archaic ways I know but I got a blu-ray I, player I'm not afraid to use it do I have to go like rent the videotape Jesus yeah you have to go get the VHS <laughs> yeah the other thing I'm watching and I, the jury's still out on this one. Bastard Execution. Are you watching that? I haven't watched it yet. I think you dig it. There's a lot of bloodshed. It's Stuart from Wales. Come on. It, <laughs> it's brave Welshmen standing up against the tyrannical rule from England. And there's a little bit of possibly some uh, druidic witchcraft. There's quite a bit of stabbing and bleeding and bits getting lopped off. Yeah, although, you know what it is? It's... We really want to be Game of Thrones, but we can't show boobies, and we don't have the budget for dragons. <laughs> All right. But still, it's fun. Bastard Executioner, it's fun. I'd really like to know your take on it. Okay. Because you, you were all out. about that motorcycle um, soap opera. Yeah, thing. I liked it for quite a bit until it got shitty. You know, the only thing I'm caught up on now actually is Gotham. That, that show is a blast. I really enjoy that show. I have the, not watched episode one of that. The acting is so much fun to watch. It's just, you know, actor after actor chewing scenery. And their takes, uh, Z from Hipster Please put it best that 
if you could watch The Flash and Arrow and see them slavishly follow DC continuity, or you could watch Gotham where they're just making crazy shit up left and right, then bring on the crazy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they are. I mean, because it doesn't make a lick of sense if you know anything about Batman or think you do. But it's totally fun to watch. I mean, the guy who plays the Riddler is great. The guy who plays Penguin is great. There is a Joker guy on the show that is awesome, fun to watch. Everybody is just killing it. And you've got, like, kid Batman wandering around like he's in a daze. It's just fucking nuts. Hmm. All right, cool. Totally and despite the fact it's on regular network TV, it doesn't suck. Dude, oh, that's it's, amazing. it's dark and horrific. It's kind of amazing how they push it because it's, it's far more frightening and gruesome than it really should be for its night and time slot and network for that matter. Yeah, the, the time slot and network right there made me go, hey, I'm going to give it a miss. But man, it's caught some shit. Like there are people who hate that show and I don't quite understand why because I find it totally enjoyable. But right. I know Agents of Shield is just starting up again, so I've got I'll I'll be digging into that. Oh yeah, I'm watching that. You know, we started watching Minority Report. The jury's kind of out on that. It's kind of fun. So I don't know. We're watching a few things. Anything else you're really digging on? You know, the only other thing that I want to talk about was a couple of Kickstarter things. Let's talk about the Kickstarter. Thing. So you know, the the film we showed our first year of the Bombat Film Festival, the horribly slow murder with the extremely inefficient weapon. Oh yeah. They are making a Ginosaji movie. Gino what now? The Ginosaji, the spoon killer, man. <laughs> Richard Gale has a Kickstarter right now to make a full feature based on this character. Now, the, the short itself felt like a full feature, so I don't it know did. where they're going to go with this. Feature. But uh, the Kickstarter, you can find it now at bit.ly slash Spoonstarter. And uh, or search for Ginosaji movie, you'll find it. It's a G I N O, Gino G Y N O no, G I N O S A J I, and uh, yeah, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. I have to check it out. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to mistype that and then see something I can't unsee. What would that be? A pap smear with a <laughs> with an incredibly inappropriate <laughs> instrument? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows you're supposed to use the ice cream scoop. Right, yeah. Wait, what? Oh, sorry. Also, uh, Kickstarter happening recently was I received my Gwilliam finger puppet from director Brian Lonano, the director of Crohan from last year's film festival. So, have you seen Gwilliam yet? I have not seen Gwilliam yet. Okay, I mean, so I've seen the. Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you call Crohan? The fucked up movie. Fucked up. It was, it was, it was a fun up. movie. Yeah. But William's fucked up. Okay. <laughs> so, <Your> point being, <laughs> that is fucked up. So, yeah, you're going to have a chance to watch this soon, and uh, I'm interested to hear your take on it, because, wow, I did Looking not see that coming. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. Features uh, William Tokarski from uh, Too Many Cooks, and it's uh, quite the short, so I, I don't want to say any more. You'll see it soon. Uh, finally, a local filmmaker, Michel Nesk, has created an Indiegogo for a found footage film co called O Unilateralis, The Conspiracy Index 8472, which uh, looks like it might be kind of interesting. So uh, look for OU Conspiracy on Indiegogo. That was how I was able to draw it up. 
and uh, watch her video. If you uh, like what you see, uh, throw her a few bucks and help her get her film made. Uh, I think both this and the Ginnisaji movie are like 60% there. So uh, both of them have a really good shot of getting made. Michelle's Kickstarter, I think, only is going to have a few more days after this show airs. So you'll want to get on that quickly. Give it a listen. Give it a look and uh, see what you think. All right. And uh, that's all I've got. Let's do a tune. All right. This is called Milk and Waffles. Once again, from this is Cave Music.
we're back once again. That was Moon Hooch with Milk and Waffles, taken from This Is Cave Music 2014. Once again, you can find the band's music at moonhooch.bandcamp.com. And Moon Hooch is spelled just like it sounds. It is. Two words. Moon and Hooch. Yes. I would like to uh, thank Moon Hooch, of course, for sharing their music, and uh, Wenzel for joining us on the show, as well as... uh, a lot of people have been featured on this show over eight years. A lot of people have been interviewed. A lot of bands have shared their music with us. A lot of listeners have listened to it. We've, uh, I think we're up to 1.2 million downloads by now. Woo-hoo. So thanks to everybody who's uh, ever been a part of the Bone Bat Show or uh, listened to the Bone Bat Show. You know, we couldn't do it without you or wouldn't do it without you. Cause yeah, we, we actually shit. couldn't do it without you. <laughs> Literally, but we couldn't do it without the bands. We couldn't have yeah. interesting stuff. We couldn't have film festivals without all these creative people. I mean, when it comes down to it, we don't do a lot of creating ourselves. We do more curating on this show anyway. So oh, uh, I say that's a fair statement. Yeah, so, you know, it, it is cool to have so many people that are willing to share their art with us so that we can spread the word about it and pollinate a few new places hopefully uh find new fans and new listeners and uh that's really exciting to us because it's there's nothing cooler than having somebody tell you hey you know i first heard about tip to bass from you guys wow what a band or you know i first discovered death star from you i first heard warp 11 from you guys I mean, we hear all the time about that, and that's that's always a really satisfying thing. So thank you happen. again so much to everyone. Our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. Is it the home of the heavy half hour? It is the home of heavy half hour right there on bonehand.com. We have a new product there infrequently. Also news about the Bone Bat Coming For Us Film Festival. And you can find my stuff at MightyWombat.com. You can follow me at Mighty underscore Wombat on Twitter. You can follow Bonehand on Twitter at, what are you, Bonehand, are you Bonehand on Twitter? Yeah, you, you kind of said it right there. Yeah, that's where you follow Bam! Me. There it is. It's right there. Woo! And we got a Facebook group for this show that we do for the Bonebat Show. Check us out on Facebook. You can even check me out on Facebook at MightyWombat.com. I'll out. Yeah, there's some crazy videos that we've posted recently on there. I think that uh, you need to go there and check that out. Did you see the thing I posted tonight? I look forward to watching it after the show. I <laughs> saw it right as we were uh, getting ready to do the show, so I didn't actually get to watch the video. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, good. I like when you make that noise. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's that. Anyway, uh, what else? Thank you for listening. If you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. We have one final tune tonight from Moon Hooch. This is from their first album, the debut from 2013, called Number Two. (laughs) Oddly, interestingly, and uh, conveniently enough, based on that last video discussion. Once again, thank you for listening. I'm Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one.
I'm going to sit here and play with my tallywhacker and work my vocal cords 